But I have a message. I mean, that's done. That's the important part, right? Yeah, okay, good. I'm glad we're in agreement about that. But uh, let's pray now and ask God's blessing to be over us as we enter this time of study together. Father, thank you for all of your many blessings, but none more than Jesus. So it's at this time that we come asking that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would bring us into deeper devotion and love of Jesus Christ through the words of, of you that you have sealed down through the ages that will continue to, to span the eternity of, of, of all ages, Lord. Father, for your word will always stand. We thank you that it's still standing in our life. We thank you that it still holds promise and great truth and hope and encouragement for our daily living. So, Father, we open it again with eager expectation that the same word that has spoke powerfully in the past and will speak powerfully in the future will speak powerfully now. Lord, that you might pour out into our hearts today both comfort where it is needed as well as conviction in our lives where it may be needed, Lord. Father, let us strive and strain to follow you first and foremost, Lord to put all other things to the side, that you might be our focus. That's why we open your word, praying that you will use it to help us refocus ourselves upon you again. Lord, it's your son Jesus that we focus on and we strive to, to emulate in this life. And so it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you please open with me to Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1, it's in your bulletin, as well as it'll also be on the screen for you. Uh, William, you turn me down just a little bit. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Job chapter 1, beginning in verse 1 and uh, reading through verse 22. It reads like this. In the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East." His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, saying that from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread out throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you 
to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went from the presence of the Lord. One day Job's son and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at their oldest brother's house, and a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sebians attacked them and made off with them. They put their servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and your daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It it collapsed on them, and they are dead, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up, and he tore his robe, and he shaved his head. And then he fell on the ground and worshipped, and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. In life, not only from experience and observation, but also from a scriptural standpoint, I find that trouble comes our way for two reasons. In life, I have found that trouble comes our way for two reasons. One, because we deserve it. And the second, because we don't deserve it. Trouble comes into our life one of two ways, because we deserve it or because we don't deserve it. When trouble, strife, and pain comes into our lives, generally the first thing that we do is seek to rationalize it. We talked a little bit about it this week. Before we speak to anybody else about what has happened to us, generally we tend to run the various scenarios, issues, options, thoughts, opinions. We run all this through our mind, trying to make sense of of what has happened. We often ask, why did this happen to me? What is the reason for all this? What's the purpose for all that I have gone through or all that someone I love has gone through. When we ask these questions, sometimes we'll know that there is a reason. There's a reason because we made a poor decision at a bad moment. We offered a wrong word when we should have stayed quiet. We made a risky decision that could have gone one way or the other and it went the other instead of the way that we hoped and intended it would go. Sometimes we did something while we thought no one was watching. Sometimes we have that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas mentality. And like our luggage, it seems to just follow closely behind us on our way home. Sometimes we say it'll be our little secret. But you know, they say that the only secret you can have is the one you don't tell anybody. But God still knows. See, these are reasons for why we suffer from time to time. These are reasons for the hardships and and struggles that we go for. These and, and so 
many more. Because if we are honest with ourselves, if we really sit down and, and think about what has happened to us, though it may take a little while, but usually if we've done something wrong, we know it pretty quickly. For the Christian, I believe this is the power of conviction of the Holy Spirit. We will know that there is a reason for the path that our life and decisions have taken us or this somebody that we love and care about has gone down this path because of some reason that we can point out and identify some sort of justifiable means for what is going on. And it doesn't always have to be big events that lead us to a world of hurt and, and problems. When God created mankind, He created a beautiful place for them to live in, a place called the Garden of Eden. And things could not have been better for Adam and Eve. But just like for us, it, it doesn't always last very long before troubles and problems begin to creep into to our lives. And I cannot help but wonder that for as long as Adam and Eve lived, how many times they thought about the day, the moment, the instant that everything changed. Listen to this account from Genesis chapter 3 as they follow along on the screen. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1 and reading to verse 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was, was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. There is no doubt that Adam and Eve did not think too much about the decision that they made. The way the scriptures give, it doesn't seem like there was much going back and forth, weighing the pros and cons of what happened. It was a fairly innocent decision. But despite how innocent their actions may have been, it does not change the fact that what they did was wrong. And though they may say, as we do sometimes, the devil made me do it, <laughs> the truth is, is that the devil only influenced them, and he only influences us. Sin did not enter the world when the devil came and tempted them. Sin entered the world when they did what God said not to do. The change comes when not influence is laid on us but when we decide to give in to the influence. Just as Adam and Eve, when we honestly reflect back on, on all that we've been through in situations and, and struggles and hardships, we can many times trace the beginning of our problems back to a certain occasion, a certain event, a certain decision. You know how it is. But no matter how small all of it began, no matter how innocent it may be, 
there was that point that everything changed. But yet, that's not always the case. Now, I said there are, there are two reasons that we suffer, things that we deserve and then the things that we don't deserve. There are times in life, though I believe sometimes that they are few, that we will not be able to trace the source of our suffering. You give me a little bit of time and I'll mess up big. You know, you, you just follow me around for a day and you'll have a whole notebook full of things that I know that you can say that Cody didn't do as best as he could have. If we're honest about ourselves, there, there are things that we could look back and say, you know, I really wasn't as good today as I thought that I was going to be. There are many things that we can recount like that, but there are times in life where we're going to sit and we're going to think and we're going to reflect and we cannot come up with a thing, a reason, a quandary as to why it is that we or somebody we love is going through what they're going through. It's in those moments that we scratch our heads and we pray and we ask, God, why is all this happening to me? Though the Bible speaks of many people who love God and sin regularly, the Bible speaks of many of these people, it on the other hand speaks of very few people who were sinners but still yet walk very closely with the Lord. And the Bible takes specific mention to point out that yes, they were sinners, but yet in their hearts there was really no flagrant flaw against them and their sins. That within this person there was no flagrant flaw that you could, you could really pinpoint, point out and say that, that this is the demise of this person. There, there are very few of those people and, and one of those people is Job. Job 1 tells us this fact very plainly, in the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. Talk about a way to begin a book. A book all about somebody and to say this right from the very start. He was an extremely successful man. We come to know not only in his personal ways and in his living, but he was an extremely successful man who was greatly admired and respected by many people. And the Bible gives us this picture that he was not only a successful man, but he was a good man. That when his children, he even thought that they were coming close to being sinful, or they did something that he thought might lead them down the wrong path. The Bible says that he made sacrifices on behalf of them, just to cover them because he cared that much for his family. Listen again to verses 4 and 5 of the account of Job. Let me turn back there. Verse 4 says, His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had come and run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking that perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular Custom. What an incredible, thoughtful, and just generally all-around good, godly man. And not only do we gather this from, from what is written about him on an earthly side, we also learn that God thought this about him as well. It is from this very passage that we learn that God cares deeply for Job, that he's taking great notice of Job. Of all those people living in the land, Job is the one who can be said at that point that he was a man 
after God's own heart. We also learn from this passage something very crucial, not just for the sake of of this story, this occurrence, this happening, but we also learn something very crucial for for our lives as well. Because as as the scene shifts very quickly from Job to a scene in heaven, we don't have to wait very far before we're introduced to the devil. And we find that the devil is in denial. As we switch from the righteousness of Job to the cruelty of Satan, whose intentions are never pure. And all I have to say for Satan is this. If I had one good thing to say about him, it's that he told God the truth when he was asked what he'd been up to lately. And he said, I've been roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. At least standing before God, he told the truth. Now, because Satan is a spiritual being, he dwells in the heavenly realms with the ability to pass forth from heaven to earth. And, and one day we too will be able to pass into the heavenly realm, but while we are here, we are held by these earthly bodies. And, and finally, when it gives up its last ounce of ebbing strength or God receives us in the great calling of all the saints up to heaven, that is the day that we'll be released from this earthly prison and we are going to be allowed to, to transfer our souls into the heavenly realm as well. But until that day happens, we are still here, we are still waiting for that to take place. But yet, while we are here, we know that we're going to experience blessings of the angels who are passing back and forth from heaven, just as Jacob saw. It said that he had a dream in Genesis chapter 28, uh, 28, that he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. We know that angels are a wonderful source of great blessing, for they are God's servants, His messengers, to earth and to mankind. We should not worship angels. In fact, the angels tell us, do not worship us, because we're not God. We only emulate and reflect God. But inasmuch as we should not worship them, we should be thankful for them. Because they do enact at times not only God's hand of justice, but also His hand of mercy. And that they are constantly roaming around the earth, seeking to do God's will in this place for the saints. We are blessed by the angels who travel back and forth. But remember that Satan and his demons, as the book of Revelation says, that he swooped with his tail a third of all the angels in heaven, cast down with him. That as much as there are blessings in the angels who serve God now, the ones who made the choice to fall from the presence of God, for they sought to be worshipped themselves, to be greater than God. Well, they are still living in the heavenly realms and able to pass back and forth too. We see this very clearly in the book of Job, where Satan presents himself before God. Now, he is a spiritual being in the spiritual heavenly realms, but understand this. You can be in the presence of God and not fall in His graces. You can be in the presence of God as the people of Israel at times, but not be in fellowship with Him. You can be around God, but that doesn't mean that you're interconnected with God. That is why Satan is in the heavenly realms where God is. And so it was on this particular day that Satan is 
playing angel where he is trying to, to fit in with the crowd, but God's nobody's dummy and certainly not Satan's. And, and he picks him out of the crowd and, and God asks him, what are you doing? And he announces evil intentions, why he was roaming through the earth, looking for something to destroy, something to, to tear God's heart apart. Because Satan knows that his fate is sealed, and at the end of time, he is to be forever damned to, to hell, and he is, he is going to be there locked away forever in the place he worked so desperately to create. And all for nothing. Because misery demands company for him. In his misery, he wants other people just to be as absolutely miserable as he is. He cares nothing about us. He just cares that it tears God's heart apart when we are not in fellowship any longer with him. That is why he is so desperately upset over anybody who comes to know the Lord and works so hard to pull them back to his own ways at any cost as he roams back and forth. His detestable intentions brought him before God. And God simply raises forth this question. Have you considered my servant Job? Have you considered my servant Job? And not only does God ask this question, but he goes on to say, there is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Wouldn't that be nice to hear God say that about you and me? In this case, he says it about Job. And what I need to state here is what confidence that God had in Job. It is thought-provoking to think that God would, would have such confidence in a man that he would recommend him for suffering to prove to the devil that there are still a few faithful people in the world. Listen again to verses 9 through 12 as they follow along. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Challenge accepted. But Satan should have known that Job would not fall, but that he still tried anyhow is amazing to me. It just shows you the sick pleasure that Satan gets out of causing pain and destruction in the world. And all because he's trying to win a game that he has already lost. He is trying to desperately lead any soul astray despite the fact that God has already pronounced victory for us through Christ Jesus. But he is still going to try to exact as much carnage on the field as he possibly can. But the question remains is, would God allow?
not common to man. Thank you. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide a way of escape that you might be able to endure it. With this understanding in view, Satan, again, can make us do absolutely nothing. But he comes to tempt us that we might make a decision to fall ourselves. He cannot make us fall, but he will surely put a lot in our view and a lot in focus, a lot of temptation, trying to get us to follow in his direction. As we see from... From this passage in Job, the devil sure did tempt Job in a powerful way. At first, Satan was only allowed to to hurt and harm his possessions and also the ones he loved. And he surely did this. Servant after servant after servant. Four servants came and gave devastating news that everything he had, except for his wife, was gone. Everything that he loved and cared about was gone. His children were all dead in one foul swoop. Now, most people, even many of us, would not respond well to the news that Job got. I know I probably wouldn't. I'm just going to be honest. I think that would be absolutely horrifying and terrible. But Job responded about as well as anyone could in that situation. That is why to this day, He stands as the example that is set forth in Scripture that God would desire us to follow and emulate after if something of like manner were to happen to us. This is why God suggested Satan to tempt Job because despite what came to him, Job stood strong in his faith and he was able to say, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. As the wonderful King James, The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Could you imagine responding like this after such great tragedy? But what key element for Job that also needs to be in our life was a wonderful relationship with a wonderful God. He carried a wonderful relationship with his God that carried him through this trial and this pain. We know from the next chapter that Satan returned to the angel lineup again after his initial efforts against God through Job that proved to be unfruitful. And he prompted God when he said in verse 3 of chapter 2, sorry I'm a little combobbled having a couple things to hang on to here. Uh, Job Chapter 2 and verse 3. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil, and he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. You can take everything within an inch of his life, but you must spare that little bit of life. 
So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. And he replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? I think that is so powerful. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, it says, Job did not sin in what he said. I simply need to ask us to be honest with ourselves for a moment. If trouble were to come our way, could it also be said of us that in all... My goodness, we're having technical, wonderful things going on this morning. (laughs) That's it. In all this, fill in your name, did not sin in what they said. If trouble were to come your way in your life, in all this, insert your name, did not sin in what they said. We know the truth that I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. But when the occasion calls for it, can we stand on it? They are words to us now, but are they going to be hollow words or meaningful words to us when the occasion actually arises? Sure, Job's faith was strong, but it was at the times that he was put in that he became a little bit frustrated. Listen to Job's words in in chapter 10, a little bit later on when he's talking to his friends about what has taken place in his life. I loathe my very life, therefore I will give free reign to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. I say to God, do not declare me guilty, but tell me what charges you have against me. Does it please you to oppress me, to spurn the work of your hands while you smile on the plans of the wicked. Job leveled his complaint to God. But again, it must be a faith-filled complaint. It must be one that hopes in the future that God has beyond this place of suffering that you are currently in. My question is with Job, have you ever asked a similar question in your life? Have you ever wondered, does it please you, God, to oppress me, to spurn the work of your hands while you smile on the plans of the wicked. The writer of the great hymn farther along said, I don't understand why the evil prosper. I don't understand why it is that, that the people who do wrong in this world seem to get along without any problems. But then they go on to say, but one day I'll understand it better by and by we wonder we sit and we wonder when struggles come into our life or into the life of one that we loved and we try to wrestle with these problems and we question why did they even come to begin with do they do I deserve it you may have remarked when it rains it pours Or it keeps getting from bad to worse. 
And if so, I would implore you to heed the words of the Apostle Paul. If you have felt that way, if you feel that way now, or if you remember these words into times and testing that come just ahead of you, that we need to put on the full armor of God so that when the day comes, we can stand. That we'll be able to stand our ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. What powerful words. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand your ground. And when you've done everything, to stand. To stand, as Paul would say here, and keep on standing. Do we have, like Job, what it takes when times of suffering come, when we don't understand? I read this and and I hear the the story of Job and I cannot help but think that when we're having a a bad day, that if we stand for Jesus, the devil's having a worse day than we are. You ever thought about that? If we're having a bad day and we stand for Jesus, that the devil is having a worse day than what we are. Because he's not gaining an inch in our life. He's not gaining an advantage over God who's already accomplished the victory for us. We know that Through sorrow that came to set in Job's life, mourning did eventually come for him. At the end of the book, chapter 42, it says that God blessed him through his suffering. Even more, he blessed him as a result of his suffering. And he was blessed beyond measure because he stood strong for God. Though we may not be thrilled with the prospect of suffering without cause in our life, we must maintain faith that the Lord is good and His love endures forever. We may on many days have to proclaim with a loud voice the words of the Apostle Paul, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness because on that day all it seems like is a mystery. But yet the wonderful mystery is even though we don't know what's going on, we know that we have a good God who in His ways will make everything right. But like Job, sometimes we're going to be a little frustrated in our faith. We're not going to understand when we didn't do anything wrong. But one day we can count on the fact that God will explain all to us. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day and all of your many blessings. For your love, your grace, and your mercy that you pour out into our lives. Lord, that we might be blessed even in this fallen world that we live in. You tell us that troubles are going to come and hardships are are going to be present in our life, but that doesn't make it any easier sometimes when they come. We question and we wonder, Lord, why me? Why them? But you have promised that if we hold fast to you, even in our times of questioning and longing, misunderstanding, that if we just simply hold to you, Lord, you will hold us. Father, let us never forsake for even a moment to trust in you even when it seems like everything's crumbling because you promised that you will show us one day 
just how good you really are. What all of it means, like you did for Job. But Father, help us while we wait. In our moments of frustrated faith, give us the encouragement and the hope to carry on. To face all that is still yet ahead of us. For we want to give you the praise and the glory and the honor and the victory in our lives. Lord, help us to do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to read you one brief passage and offer an invitation. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Or it does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Church, suffering comes in our lives. The question is, how are we going to use it for glory of God? How are we going to use it to bring glory to his name? Church, I don't know where you are today, but I would imagine that somebody in this room is suffering in some way. If you are suffering, give that to God. Ask him to help you see the purpose of all of it. And while you wait, ask him to maintain you, to uphold you and care for you, to be there when you cry. Ask God to to be by your side as your comfort in the midst and times of your waiting. If you are praying for somebody else who is suffering, may you bring their petition and their request before the Lord today. If you do not know the Lord and you're suffering as a result of living in a fallen world, come to know Him and give Him your soul. That way it may not suffer forever. Come to the Lord today if you do not know Him, if Jesus Christ is not your Savior today. And if you have just any need in your heart and your life, physical, emotional, spiritual, mental, whatever it might be, even of a physical need, God cares about all this. Bring it to the Lord. Don't forsake any opportunity to cast all your cares upon him because he said he cares for you. Offer this invitation together as we stand and we sing.